Welcome back to the Word Encounter, episode 170, where today we'll be picking up in a very short book, only one chapter, the book of Obadiah. Obadiah is different from the other books in that Obadiah, uh, uh, his mission, his ministry, if you will, was to prophesy against the Edomites. You know, before, all prophecies have come against Israel or against Judah, but this is against the Edomites. Now, remember, Edom, uh, the people of Edom are descendant from Esau, and Esau was Jacob's brother, and so these are his descendants. Now, they should have been assisting the Israelites when they uh, departed from Egypt, but instead, they came against them, and they gloated over them when they were defeated, and, and they were basically a pain in the behind uh, to the Israelites. And so um, Obadiah's assignment is to prophesy against them. Now, interestingly enough, the name Obadiah means servant of the Lord. And so and uh, the Lord has given him this mission, this ministry, to prophesy against Edom. Time frame-wise, we're not exactly sure. There were several people named Obadiah, but we can't really... Uh, isolate which Obadiah this is. And so he is prophesying uh, against Edom in a time frame sometime after the division of the kingdom into the northern and southern kingdom, but before the exile of the Judeans to uh, Babylon. And so sometime in this time frame, now that's a that's a pretty wide range. That's about 400 years, so we're not exactly sure when Obadiah was uh, speaking the word of the Lord. But with that, let's get started here. And it says, the vision of Obadiah, uh, Edom's certain judgment. This is what the Lord has said about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy has been sent among the nations. Rise up and let's go to war against her. Look, I will make you insignificant among the nations. You will be deeply despised. In verse 3, it says, your arrogant heart has deceived you. So this is the Lord telling the Edomites that your your arrogant heart has led you astray. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your home on the heights. See, uh, in, 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 in old days, even today, the high position was always the position of advantage because you could see down anybody who uh, may have been attacking you had to come up. Therefore, it was easy to pick people off as they were coming up. So the high ground was always important. So it says here, um, in your home on the heights, meaning that you are taking your security because your home is in the heights. And it says, uh, who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? And so the Lord is, is telling them what they're thinking. You're thinking that you live in the cleft of the rocks. Uh, you, you're thinking that you live in the heights. And so you're saying to yourself, who can defeat us? You know. And so in verse 4 it says, though you seem, key word, though you seem to soar, like an eagle, and make your nest amongst the stars. Even from there, I will bring you down. This is the Lord's declaration. So the Lord is saying, look, the high ground, you being in the rock and all that, all the stuff that you are, are, are uh, um, uh, feeling secure in, none of that is going to matter. I'm going to bring you down anyway. <clears throat> we go down here uh, to verse 8. It says, in that day, this is the Lord's declaration. I will not eliminate the wise, excuse me, will I not eliminate the wise ones of Edom and those who understand from the hill country of Esau? And so he says, will I not eliminate these wise ones of Edom, those who are arrogant and thinking that they're safe and secure? It says, 
T-Man, your warriors, will be terrified so that everyone from the hill country of Esau will be destroyed by slaughter. Mm. And so the next section says Edom sins against Judah. So let's, let's, let's see from the Lord's perspective what they were doing wrong. He says, you will be covered with shame and destroyed forever because of violence done to your brother Jacob. See, so the Lord doesn't, you know, he's not forgetting this stuff. He says, when I brought them out of Egypt, you didn't let them go through your land so that they could uh, shortcut and get to some places quicker. You forced them to go around you. You weren't their friends. You weren't their brothers. It says, because of violence done to your brother Jacob. Verse 12, it says, do not, do not gloat over your brother in the day of his calamity. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction. Do not boastfully mock in the day of their distress. Do not enter my people's city gate in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their misery in the day of their disaster and do not appropriate, appropriate their possessions in the day of their disaster. So the Lord is recounting what he has against them. See, they gloated over their brother, brother in the day of his calamity. They rejoiced over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction. They boastful, boastfully mock in the day of distress. They entered the city gates. They appropriated their um, possessions. They took what belonged to them. This is what the Lord has against them. Then it says, but there will be a deliverance on Mount Zion. And so the Lord is going to kind of add insult to injury here. And so uh, Obadiah is prophesying against the Edomites, and he's telling them what's going to happen to them. He's telling them what they've done wrong. Now he's going to tell them, and those people that you were gloating over and taking their possessions and whatnot, oh, by the way, they're going to be blessed. <laughs> says, but there will be a deliverance on Mount Zion, and it will be holy. The house of Jacob will um, dispossess those who dispossess them. So he's saying, the house, my people, my people Israel, you were assisting in their dispossession, and so after they get punished and I restore them, they're going to come and dispossess you. Next section says, yeah, future blessing of Israel. It says in verse 19, people from the Najib, and, and this is a, a land in southern uh, Judah, so, so the Judeans will possess the hill country of Esau. So the Lord is telling Obadiah to prophesy to the Edomites that the people that you gloat over and mocked, they're going to possess your territory. They're going to come and possess your country. It says uh, those from the Judean foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will possess the territories of Ephraim and Samaria, while Benjamin will possess Gilead. Uh, and so he's telling Obadiah to essentially tell the people what is going to happen to them. Not only are they going to be judged and punished, but the people that they gloated over are going to eventually take over their land. And so that's the book of, uh, of uh, Obadiah. And so what we have here is a lesson. First of all, God watches over his people. He doesn't want other people mocking his people. He doesn't want other people gloating over his people, for he will not forget these things. In fact, the tables will be turned. Yes, he will set his people straight. Yes, he will discipline his people. But his, his, his straightening out and his disciplining is not just for his people. 
They're for all people. (laughs) So, you know, whether you ascribe to the Lord or not, if you don't do things his ways, if you don't abide by his 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 logic and reasoning, his rationale, what he loves and what he hates, it will eventually come on you, whether you say you believe in the Lord or not. That's irrelevant. Let's go on to the next book, the book of Jonah. In the book of Jonah, the presumed author is Jonah. And um and he was uh, uh Jonah had an interesting mission. So he was also assigned. He wasn't assigned to prophesy to the Israelites or the Judeans. He was assigned to prophesy to the Ninevites, see, to a people other than God's people. So it was similar to Obadiah in that respect. But he had a very different mission, and a mission that he wasn't too um, satisfied with. He wasn't too happy to carry out, as we will see. Uh, from a time uh, time frame perspective, um, he was in like the the 750s to 800 BC category, somewhere in that vicinity, you know, which is after again the division of the kingdom. And so, at the time, Assyria uh, would eventually arise to a dominant power, uh, but at this time, they weren't as dominant as they would be a few hundred years later when they would actually, um, well, not a few hundred years, no, I take that back, uh, less than a hundred years later, uh, that they would actually depose the, the northern kingdom and, and carry the uh, Israelites off into exile. And they were uh, considered to be an evil kingdom with very, very, very harsh and very um, uh, barbaric, if you will, uh, practices in warfare. And so as illustrated in their artwork and, and other things, they were, they were pretty mean and nasty. And so they were no friends of the Israelites. Uh, they were enemies, and Jonah hated them, <laughs> which compounds the problems he had with his assignment. So with that, let's get into this. It says, um, uh, let's see, in chapter 1, uh, the title is Jonah's Flight. It says in verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of uh, Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their evil has come up um, before me. And so the Lord is saying, look, the level of their evilness is, is, has come up in front of me, and I'm going to deal with them. So Jonah, go preach against them. Then it says, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish, Tarshish uh, from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into, uh, into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. And so when the Lord told him what to do, Jonah's immediate uh, response was he got up to flee, to flee from the Lord's presence. Now that if Jonah knew the Lord, how could he think that he could flee from his presence? But he went in the opposite direction of where the Lord told him to go. And so he went, paid a fare, got on the ship, and went down into the belly of the ship. And he says, I'm getting away from the Lord. Let's go. It says in verse 4, But the Lord threw a great wind into the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. Isn't that interesting? 
all kind of stuff is breaking out, right? And what does Jonah do? He goes down into the bottom <laughs> and he falls asleep. Man, I wish I could fall asleep that easily. It says, uh, in verse 6, the captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God, because everybody else is crying out to their God and nothing seems to be working. So the captain is saying, maybe this God will consider us and he and we won't perish. See, we won't die. Call your God. Let's see what he can do. In verse 7, it says, come on. The sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for the trouble we're in. Now, isn't that interesting? So they're not just considering this storm and whatnot, just a happenstance of nature. They're thinking we're going through this because of something that somebody on this ship has done. I don't know that that would be my immediate thought or response, but that's what they thought. It says, so they cast lots and they singled out Jonah. And so casting lots was like their form of deciding what's going on. Jonah came up uh, with the short stick, I guess, and they decided it's you. You're the one. You're the reason why we're going through this. In verse eight, it says, then they said to him, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? So they're interrogating Jonah, right? Because they say, okay, dude, who are you? Where are you from? What's your people? What country do you come from? What business do you have on this ship? We need to know because something is causing us, uh, we're going to die if we don't figure this out. Then it says in verse 9, he answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by great fear and said to him, what have you done? See, so when Jonah told him, you know, who he worshiped and whatnot, apparently they immediately believed him. They immediately knew of the Lord. I guess the Lord's reputation had preceded him. And they immediately thought, what have you done? You have done something to anger the Lord your God. What was it? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them so. So he had told them in the past, I guess, that he was fleeing from something. So they knew it and they want to know, OK, what have you done? So they said to him, what should we do to you so that the uh, sea will calm down for us? For the sea is getting worse and worse. And so it says, well, this is your God. You got to know him. You got to know. I mean, obviously, you know why you're fleeing. So you got to have the answer to save us. So what can we do? Verse 12, he answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. So Jonah just immediately says, throw me overboard. <laughs> That'll solve your problem. Throw me overboard. <clears throat> but the men didn't want to do that. See, so in verse 14, he says, so they called out to the Lord, uh, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea stopped raging. And so they didn't want to do it. They said, Lord, I know this is your man, but, you know, forgive us. We don't want to shed innocent blood, but we got to do something. So we're going to throw him overboard. That's what he said after all. And then after the sea stopped raging, their response, the men who threw him overboard, their response is very telling and very interesting. It says, the men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. 
So they threw Jonah overboard. The sea calmed down. And then the men knew why the sea calmed down. They knew that what Jonah was saying with regard to the Lord, his God, being the author, if you will, of the seas and the dry land. They knew at that point, I believe, that what Jonah had said was true. And when they threw him overboard and the sea stopped raging, their response was to immediately offer sacrifices and make vows to the Lord. See, so they were turned on the dime. They were turned from calling out to their idols and their false gods to calling out to the Lord God of the heavens. Verse 17, it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. All right, let's go on to chapter 2. It says, Jonah's prayer. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. So we see that... um, Let's go back and we, the end of chapter one. We have um, Jonah being a belly of the fish for three days and three nights. In chapter two, uh, from the belly of the fish, Jonah is now praying to the Lord. So he's inside the belly of the fish, the whale, if you will. He's pl- praying to the Lord. And he says, as my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me... I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And so the, 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 the sailors or the workers uh, threw Jonah off of the ship uh, because he told them to. The seas calmed down and, and the, the, the sailors start worshiping the Lord. Then a, sw- a fish swallows up Jonah for three days and three nights. And in the belly of the fish, we see that Jonah maybe has had a change of heart with regard to things. And so in verse 10, it says, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. In chapter three, it says, Jonah's preaching. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. (laughs) And basically the same thing is going to be said to Jonah. Lord says, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message I tell you. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was in an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. And so here we have Jonah going into the city, uh, traveling to the city of Jonah, uh, excuse me, to the city of Nineveh that he's deathly afraid of. And he's proclaiming these words, going into the city, having no idea how they're going to react. Are they going to string him up? Are they going to cut his body up into pieces? Are they going to, you know, who, who knows? He has no idea what's going to happen. And so he didn't want to do this in the first place, but he had a change of heart in the belly of the fish. And so now he's going on and he's making this pronouncement. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They didn't turn on him. They didn't walk back on them. They believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, how would he react? You know, because remember some of the kings in Israel, they were saying, go get the prophet, you know, kick him out. We don't want to. But that's not what the king of Nineveh did. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, 
covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes. And so he humbled himself. When the king of Nineveh heard this, he humbled himself. That was his response. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. What did he say? He said, both people and animals must be covered in sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. You know, not to our foreign gods, not to our idols, but he's saying to God, to the Lord God of Israel. See, these are the Assyrians in Nineveh calling out to God, earnestly calling out to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. So this is a pronouncement of the king, from the king to the citizens. Who knows? This is the king talking. God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. See, they reacted, a foreign people reacted way differently than the Israelites reacted when they were essentially told similar things. What they did is they humbled themselves and they turned to God, they being the, the, the Ninevites. You know, the children of God, the Israelites didn't do that. They stayed in their pride. They stayed in denial. They told the prophets, you don't know what you're talking about. They wanted to string up the prophets up. That's not what the Ninevites did. So what did God do? Verse 10, God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. God turned away from his burning anger because of how the Ninevites reacted to the warning. There's a principle here. When God comes and warns us about stuff, how do we react? Do we acknowledge our wrongdoing and turn from our evil ways? Or do we try to excuse our wrongdoing away? Do we try to tell the people that are trying to inform us, you're crazy, you don't know what you're talking about. You're stupid, that's old time thinking. You know, that's not relevant. How do we react? How do we react when we hear the word of the Lord coming against something that we're doing and we don't want to stop doing it? How do we react? Chapter four, Jonah's anger. So we saw what the Ninevites did uh, when they were warned by Jonah from the king. They turned from their wicked ways. They humbled themselves. Then we saw how God reacted to them. I said, okay, cool. I'm going to relent. I'm not going to bring the disaster I was going to bring. So how does, jo how does Jonah react to what God did? <laughs> Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. That's how Jonah reacted. He was mad as all get out. He wanted these people destroyed. He wanted to see some vengeance. See, he, wanted to, he, he didn't want these people to have any mercy. It says in verse 2, he prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? Lord, I told you, I knew you were going to do this. That's why I ran away. That's why I didn't want to come here. I didn't want to rescue these people. I didn't want these people saved. I knew you were going to do this. That's why I fled towards Tar uh, Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate uh, God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. See, this aspect of mercy and compassion with God is what, uh, um, um, excuse me, Jonah did not want, did not like. He knew that's what God was like, and he didn't want this characteristic of God to be displayed for these people. Verse 3, and now, Lord, 
take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So Jonah is saying, look, if you're not going to exact revenge on these evil people, on these violent evil people, then kill me right now. That's Jonah's response. Verse 4, the Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? So the Lord is very calm with Jonah. He's like, dude, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter uh, there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. And so remember this part of the world, it gets hot. And so he left, he got himself a nice spot under some leaves or something so the sun wouldn't be kicking his behind. And he was going to view, he's going to see what was going to happen. Verse six, then the Lord appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head, to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, uh, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The heat beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. So here's Jonah again being dramatic. I'd rather die. You know, it's hot. I'm burning up. These people aren't being destroyed. I'd just rather die. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plan? Jonah responded, yeah, it's right. <laughs> I'm angry enough to die. In verse 10, and the Lord said, you cared about the plant for which you did not labor over and did not grow. You had nothing to do with this plant. I grew it over you for your protection. It appeared in the night and perished in the night. It appeared for one day to protect you. And now you're saying you have a right you know, to be angry that the plant is dead. You had nothing to do with growing it. And in verse 11, uh, verse 11, God's response is telling. He says, so may I not care about a great city like Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left? <laughs> if you can care about a plant which you did nothing to grow, can't I care about a great number of people who can't distinguish the difference between right and wrong? Can't I show compassion over people? I've shown compassion over you. I've taken care of you, Jonah. I can't show compassion to other people. I can't give them an opportunity to turn from their wicked ways. I can't give them the opportunity to get right before me. You think that I just am supposed to just take them out and not give anybody an opportunity? This is what the Lord is asking Jonah. And this is the, what the Lord is asking us with regard to our attitudes towards some other peoples that we want to see get it. The Lord might be asking us, yo, time out. Don't they have the right to have the opportunity to recognize their wicked ways and to turn from them? Because if I use a standard of judgment against them, I have to use that same standard of judgment against you. If I don't give them the opportunity to turn, then I can't give you the opportunity to turn. And by all rights, every man deserves immediate death by his sin. It's only by the grace of God, and it's only because he gives us the opportunity to change and to turn that we continue to live forth. 
So uh, Jonah is a very, very strong book with regard to what our notion of fairness and justice is, compassion and mercy, and how we see things, how we weigh people. We weigh people on a scale that we would never weigh ourselves on. We can commit murder against another human being, and it was a mistake. Whereas if they kill a mosquito, then they are worse than a serial killer. <laughs> Jesus says, get the plank out of your own eye before you talk about the stick in somebody else's eye. And with that, we are done with episode 170. We'll pick it up with episode 171 tomorrow. And remember, Jesus is continuously and always making an invitation for those who have not recognized who he is. The word says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. You shall be saved from eternal damnation, death, and destruction. Sounds like a good deal to me. With that, we'll see you tomorrow. Everybody take care, stay safe, and be blessed. Bye-bye.